0: am looking forward to continuing our teaching series called The Real Thing, going through the book of First John. We only have a few weeks left, so it's really important that we focus. It's really important that we focus. Say focus. Focus. Oh. Say focus, focus. Oh, it's much better. It's really important that we focus because it's it's too easy when we get to the close, when we get close to the end of something to start losing focus. I know we have a lot of college students back from spring break, and I'm sure that before spring break happened, as the days were counting down, it was hard to maintain focus on their schoolwork and their studies because they were thinking about getting close to the end before their break. I'm sure you might have experienced this at work. Maybe you're looking at the clock and you're seeing the clock come down and you're thinking, I have to, you know, I'm going to be off work in, in any moment now. And you're, and you're losing your focus on, on your job and what you need to do. might happen to you. Sometimes this happens uh, to drivers as they're approaching home. I've heard this. I don't know the, 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 all the stats, but I've heard that more accidents occur like 10 miles within our home than anywhere else. And it's possible that, uh, that there's, there's, there's this, uh, this thing where we're kind of going through the motions and we're so close to being to the, to the finish of our drive that we go through the motions and we lose focus Or it's possible that we might fall asleep. I don't know. It's happened to me, so I think that that's that's possible. Actually, uh, it happened to me when I was driving to seminary in school. Way back, way back when I I was still in school, I had a school that I went to that was an hour and a half from where I lived, and I had a class in the morning that was at 7.30 in the morning. So I I think you could imagine that it was a little challenging for me. But one morning, as I approached the school, which was in a a neighborhood, a residential area, I, I fell asleep as I was driving, and I hit the curb, and that woke me up, thankfully. It wasn't like a car or, or a person, but I hit the curb, and the hubcap of the front right wheel hit the curb and popped off and started rolling up the hill. So I immediately woke up, and I saw, I saw this hubcap rolling up the hill, and I, I was awake the rest of the day, for sure. You could, you could imagine that. Sometimes when we, get to the clo- when we get close to the end of something, we lose focus. So I think it's important as we get to the end of this book, as we get to the end of our teaching series, that we remain focused. Turn to your neighbor and say it's time to focus. Just tell them that. Say it's time to focus. We need to focus on what we're doing here. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. So if you would turn there in your Bible, if you brought a Bible, you can turn there. Also, uh, there might be a Bible that's in the seat in front of you, uh, or if you have a tablet or an iPhone or whatever it might be, a phone that you use uh, to check out your your Bible verses on, you can see that as well, and uh, you can follow along in the outline that you received in your bulletin, and also the outline in the YouVersion app as well. Uh, we're looking forward to, to uh, closing out this series in the next couple weeks, but we need to focus. So let's be in First John chapter 5. And if uh, we're going to start at verse 6, but um, at least that's the text that's been assigned to me. By, by Pastor Jeff. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. But if it's okay with you, I would like to go back a couple verses. If, if I have your permission, I'd like to go back a couple verses because I think it's helpful as we look into the verses that we're gonna look at today to kind of have a running start as we get in as we get into those verses because hitting ch- uh, verse six is, is a is like a hard hit but we want to have like this this smooth like running into it so we want to go back a few verses to verse four of first john chapter five so if you will turn there and look at that with me it's time to focus verse four For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So we see that John is talking about faith here. And hold on to that that little phrase, the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. The victory that overcomes the world is our faith. And then he asks a question in verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Basically asking, who overcomes except for the person who has faith? The overcomer has faith. And then he talks about this Jesus, the person that we should have faith in. Verse six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Verse nine. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that has that he has born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not be- believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. This would be a good time to give a gentle elbow nudge to your neighbor and remind them to stay focused. So go ahead and do that now. Verse 11, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is what we're going to focus on today. This is what we're going to focus on. Now, I'm not just talking about paying attention. Paying attention is important. But I believe that John wants us to pay attention to and focus on something specific. Focus on Something specific. Specifically, as we talk about our faith, we need to focus on something specific. I believe that John is trying to help us do that. Before I say, before I say what I think that specific thing is, let me ask you a question. Who here has faith? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I did ask you to raise your hand, hopefully every one of you would raise your hand because we all have faith in something. Even if you came here today and you're not too sure about God and you have some questions about believing in Jesus, you have faith in something. Even in the chair that you sat down in, you had faith that you'd be able to stay seated in that chair. You have faith that the ceiling is not going to fall down upon us. You have faith in something. Even if it's not faith in God, every one of us has faith in something. We trust in something. We all have faith. But John has been talking about a faith that overcomes A faith that overcomes. So it's more than just having faith that the ceiling will not fall down upon us. He's talking about a faith in something specific. Something that will help us be an overcomer in our life. We need a faith that's focused. And we need to focus on something specific. And based on our text today, I believe that our key thought is this. The faith that overcomes is focused on the one who cannot fail. The faith that overcomes is focused on the one who cannot fail. Now, here's a really cool thing about these verses that we're looking at today. At least I'm choosing to look at as a cool thing about these verses. They are a little out there. They are a little interesting. They're a little bizarre in what John is saying. It's a little hard to get a grasp on what he's saying. There are a few different opinions held by a lot of different people on what these verses mean. So let's get that out of the way. These are, these are some interesting verses to talk about. But second, and why I think that John wants to, wants us to hear these words, why it matters to us. He doesn't, he doesn't just talk about how we need to have faith. He doesn't just talk about how we need to have faith. It's one thing to just say, have faith, Be be a person who has faith. We've already talked about how we all have faith in something. Just telling you to have faith, just reminding us and writing that have faith is not sufficient enough. In in these verses, I believe that he's filtering our faith to help focus our faith. A filtered faith is a focused faith, and I want to talk about that. John's readers have been hearing a lot of information. We've been hearing a lot of information as we've been going through this letter We've been hearing a lot of information coming at us, and John puts this filter on what he's saying, so the most important thing comes through. That's the key. He wants something important to come through in what he's saying, in helping us understand how to have a faith that overcomes. So he puts a filter here. I love good photography. It's, it's one of those things, you know, if you, how, I don't know, if you have alternate life, like what you do in an alternate life, in one of my many alternate lives, I would be a photographer. I love uh, photography. I try to, you know, amateur with the phone and all that kind of stuff, but that doesn't count. That's not real photography. You know this. But good photographers know when to, to put the right kind of lens on or the right kind of filter so that the person looking at their photos can focus on the thing that they want them to focus on. So if there's too much light in a giving setting they will put a certain filter on it so that so that the person looking at the photo will be able to see what they want them to see without having too much light in it. Or you think about like a black and white photo. We have all the technology in the world as you know this to only have color photos. We can do color, but people still choose to do black and white. And there's a reason why because the photographer wants you to see something. Doesn't want you to be distracted by the color. Wants you to see something in the black and white. So there's these filters, and good photographers know how to put filters and and different things on their photos so that you notice what they want you to notice, so that you see things that they want you to see. I think John uses these verses as a filter to help his readers be drawn to a specific thing that he wants them to focus on. The faith that overcomes is a filtered faith because it is focused on the one who cannot fail. Why does this matter to you and I? Why does it matter that we have this kind of faith? Well, we've acknowledged already we all have faith in something. So it's incredibly key that we have faith in something that will not fail because so many other things, if not all other things, will fail us. How do we develop that kind of focus? How do we develop that type of focus? Well, the first thing we do is we examine the evidence. The first thing is we examine the evidence. Look at verse 6 again. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Uh, One of the options that people have talked about what this verse means is that the water symbolizes Jesus' birth as a man and the blood symbolizes his death on the cross. So that is one option. But a lot of people will talk about Water and the blood meaning uh, some, some other things as well. And I want to address one of those things right here. This might be the first time in First John that he mentions water and blood in the same phrase. But it's not the first time that John has mentioned water and blood in his writings in the same phrase. It's possible that his mention here in First John is to take his readers, to take his audience back to when he has said water and blood before. You see, John, in writing his gospel, writes about Jesus. He actually walked with Jesus. He sat under the teachings of Jesus. He was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. He was there when he saw when the, the tomb was empty. He found the empty tomb, and he was with the risen Savior. If anyone can be a witness and a testimony and explain the evidence or, or give out the evidence, that we need to examine. It is John. In John's gospel, where, where he tells the story of the cross, we see where he mentions water and blood. <clears throat> Before I turn there, let's talk about why he even mentions it. He mentions it for a reason. He mentions it for a reason, and it has to do with crucifixion. It has to do with the death of Jesus. Crucifixion, as you can imagine, was a horrible, awful, brutal, humiliating way to die. As you can imagine, even though it's almost impossible to imagine. Hanging on the cross, your arms would eventually lose circulation or possibly even come out of their sockets. Your wrists possibly being torn up by the wood, the rope, the nails. You relied a lot on the strength of your legs hanging on the cross to propel yourself up to to be able to breathe. And so often, uh, those that could not sustain that strength anymore would die because they would suffocate. They couldn't continue to push up with their legs. Once they lost strength uh, with whatever was holding their feet, whether it was board, ropes, or nails, they would begin to suffocate. They wouldn't be able to breathe anymore and would soon die. And yet, just to add to the torture, the way that they were typically hung on the cross is that they were given away to push up. They were given away to continue to keep breathing, just to add to the torture. Well, when Jesus went to the cross, Passover was about to happen. And Passover was a celebration of the people of God, the people of Israel, of their exodus of, from slavery in Egypt. And during Passover, the Jewish leaders did not want people to be hanging on the cross. It was not good for the celebration. It was not good for that time. So in order for there to be no one on the cross, the quickest way to have the people off the cross was to break the legs of those hanging. And so those that were overseeing the crucifixion would break the legs of those hanging and then they would quickly die. This is the story that John tells in his Gospel. John chapter 19, verse 31, he says it like this, since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, one hanging next to Jesus, and then broke the legs of the other who had been crucified alongside him. And then in verse 33, John says this, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Separately, blood and water. The separation of the blood and the water confirmed that he had, in fact, died. It was water and clotted blood coming out of his body. It's possible that as John writes his letter in this, in 1st John here, he is referring back to this story of Jesus on the cross when he says water and blood. To point his audience to the cross. To draw their attention, their focus, to the cross of Jesus. And this is important. It's important for John to address that Jesus Christ died on the cross because as as we looked at the beginning of this letter we learned that there were not only was John writing to encourage the church but he was also writing in response to certain false teachings that were going on going around about Jesus one that Jesus was possibly uh, possibly not God others that Jesus was only God and not really a man it was very important that the church understood it's very important that John communicates that Jesus in fact as God and man did die on the cross. Because we know he also rose again, it's important to know that he did die for us, and there is a a lot of significance for us in that. If anyone has a case against these false teachings, if if anyone can can make the case, it's this witness, this, this eyewitness, John, and his testimony how the blood and water flowed, how Jesus did die. So here in this letter, he speaks of these two elements, water and blood, to possibly point us to the cross. Without a doubt, this is on his mind. Another thing that is brought to our minds when we read these words, water and blood, are two events that symbolize major events that happened in Jesus' life blood, obviously the cross where he died, and water when he was baptized, which was the beginning of his ministry. John saying that these, these possi- that these possibly testify to who Jesus is and what he has done. Well, how does the Spirit fit into this? As John says, the Spirit is the one who testifies. John likely believes that the Spirit is testifying through his own testimony about what he has seen about Jesus, and possibly something even more than that when you think about water and blood and the significance that it has now for us as a church. Yes, it is about the cross of Jesus. It is about what he is doing in our community. And one of those things with the water is baptism. Every time someone is baptized, in the days of the early church and even in our church today, the Spirit of God is testifying in that community. The Spirit of God is testifying in that community of believers. We're going to be having a baptism coming up real soon. If you're interested in being a part of that, I encourage you to let someone know. Write that on your card that you'd be interested in being baptized. The water testifying that Jesus died for us. Not only that, but every time the church takes communion together, both in the early church and even today, every time the church takes communion together and holds up that cup, symbolizing the blood that was shed for us, The Spirit of God is testifying in that community of believers that Jesus is who he says he is and was who he says he was and did what we believe he did. John's testimony is evidence of Jesus and his work on the cross. But not only that, there is also the testimony of God's Spirit as the church continues to experience the water and blood. Why does this matter? Why does it affect us? Why does John feel the need to use these words that are somewhat vague, somewhat hard to understand? How does this help, help us have a faith that is focused? I think he wants his audience. I think he wants his audience to deal with the details. Deal with the details, whether we have many or not. Deal with the details, whether they are specific or not. John never explains exactly what he is saying in these verses. He never says exactly what the water and blood is all about all we have is what john is all about and what he has written before and we know that he is focused on jesus i wonder if by giving these specific details and not much more that he is filtering our faith as to not be concerned with too much light or be distracted by too much color So we see exactly what he wants us to focus on, whether we completely understand it or not. A filtered faith is a focused faith. And a focused faith has assurance even if we don't have all the answers. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Sometimes we don't have all the answers But we have enough of the details This might be the case for you when you consider uh, your faith in God You might be looking for more answers You might not have enough of the answers that you want and that is not a, a bad place to be It is good to continue to seek the answers but don't let your pursuit of more answers Keep you from acknowledging the details that you already know. Don't let that be a distraction. Don't let that be a roadblock to you actually believing because you have enough of the details. Sometimes we don't have all the answers, but we have enough of the details. And John is pointing to the testimony of the Spirit and the mysterious testimony of water and blood and their agreement together. That's intense. That's intense. For verse 7, for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. These are the details we need to deal with. And when we read about them, we think of the cross. We think about what the spirit has done in the life of the church. We think about who Jesus is. Details we need to deal with. When you are baking a cake, details of the recipe matter. This last week, some of my girls decided that they would bake a cake for the family, so they Googled a recipe. They probably Googled many recipes and uh, they found a recipe that they they wanted to use so they they baked a cake for the family and spending hours in the kitchen we were hoping it was going to be the most amazing cake that we ever tasted it was a beautiful cake they used different color cake i mean like you know they made one it was a three-layer cake one layer was purple one was green one was yellow and this white frosting it was just glorious and it was set out on the table before us after dinner, and I had eaten a big dinner, so I I only needed to try a little bit of the cake at the time, and it was good that I only tried a little bit of the cake. The cake was struggling. The cake was not good. I felt bad. It was beautiful, though. I mean, it looked good. I th- it turns out that they forgot baking powder Which I think makes the cake actually kind of cakey and fluffy and too much baking soda, which doesn't help the flavor and It and so we we didn't eat that cake and we we didn't eat a lot of it I think one of my kids really liked it, which I again. I, I don't understand all my children um, Details matter details matter and for John there are three essential ingredients that he is pointing to—water, blood, and the Spirit. They are witnesses of the one in whom we put our focus on. And there's a scriptural background to this, this idea of a threefold witness. In the Old Testament, if a crime was committed, the, the, the punishment wouldn't be taken seriously unless there was two or three witnesses of the crime. Now, we aren't dealing with a crime, but we are listening to a conversation. A conversation John is having with his audience in the context of false teachings about Jesus. So he uses this agreement of three witnesses, basically, to put away their argument. One of the ways that he does in this letter to help uh, silence their criticisms. All these things point to Christ. They point to Christ in us And they point to Christ being our focus. The faith that overcomes is focused on the one who cannot fail. How do we have this focused faith, this faith that overcomes? Let's recap. First we examine the evidence. Our faith is not wishful thinking. The believer's faith is not wishful thinking. It's about real things, real things that testify to Jesus, water, blood, the Spirit of God. So we examine the evidence and we deal with the details. And third, we consider the source. Verse 9, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that has been born concerning his Son. If we receive the testimony of men, he says. Now he's not questioning if we receive the testimony of men. He's basically saying this, if we receive the testimony of men, which we do, the testimony of God is even greater. He is acknowledging that we have a tendency to receive what people say to us, especially if we normally agree with them. That's, that's why we, we, uh, we watch the news sources that we might watch. It's the news that we might typically agree with. That's why a child might go to the parent in which they think will get the answer that they want to hear. They'll go to the parent that would agree with what they, they're asking for. But the news will fail us. Uh, Parents will fail their children. Even your NCAA men's basketball tournament bracket will fail you. I heard an amen to that. (laughs) Even that will fail you. But God doesn't fail us. The first reason why we can trust God and trust that he doesn't fail us is because the testimony, his testimony, is greater than, We might easily receive the testimony of men. And if that is the case, we should consider giving God's testimony. We should consider receiving that testimony because it is greater. The testimony of God is greater because it is the testimony of Jesus. That is the story he is telling, the good news, the story that changes everything. This is the testimony that he is sharing. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more important testimony. Name a world leader, name an influential person, name a really good friend. There is no greater testimony than what the Spirit of God has to say about the the person of Jesus. There is no greater testimony than what the Spirit of God has to say about the person of Jesus. Are you listening to what he is saying? Are you receiving that testimony? Consider the source of the testimony. He is the God of creation, the author of salvation, and the one who loves us unconditionally. The first reason why we can trust that God won't fail us is because He is greater. His testimony is greater. The second reason why we can trust that God doesn't fail us is because He does not lie. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. As we have already read in verse 6, the Spirit is truth. The Spirit's truth. Not the Spirit speaks truth, not the Spirit is inclined towards truth, but the Spirit is truth truth. It is impossible for God to lie. John says if we believe in Jesus, then the testimony of God is within us. The testimony is within us. If we don't believe in that testimony, we make God out to be a liar because of what he has testified to. John says that if we believe in Jesus, the testimony is within us. Not believing in the testimony of God is rejecting the love he has shown us, the salvation he has offered. If you believe that there is a God, if you believe that there is a God and don't believe in the story of Jesus, then you make this God out to be a liar. If you don't believe there is a God, then you make Jesus out to be a fake, and John is lying to us. He's lied about the water, he's lied about the blood, he's lied about the spirit probably delusional in what he's saying. Baptism is only a quick bath. Communion is a short, very insufficient meal. To disregard all that he has spoken is accusing God of being a liar, he says, and suggesting that the followers of Christ, and suggesting that, that God is a liar, is saying that the followers of Christ are the biggest fools on earth. Or, as the Apostle Paul said, those who are most to be pitied. But we believe that God is not a liar. We believe that he is not a liar and he has not and will not fail us because he does not lie. Don't don't you want your faith to be focused on someone or something that will not fail? All of us have faith and we know that almost everything that we have faith in will or can fail us. There may be times when you don't like what God seems to be doing. There may be times when you don't like what what is happening around you and what God seems to be doing. There may be times when you feel like God is letting you down. And those are valid concerns. There are times when we feel like God is letting us down. But we know, ultimately, He will not fail us because He is working all things together for good. This is a promise that we have, and God does not lie. This is the testimony that is now in us, this good news, and it is, it is not just a story that is shared to us, it now, it's now becomes our own story. And this is incredibly profound and very cool, because the testimony of God has moved from proclamation to possession, It's something that we have heard but now we can possess. A proclamation is something you hear. A possession is something you hold. We've gone from hearing the testimony to holding the testimony. It's now ours. And this is important because that is how we have a faith that overcomes by having that within us. The faith that overcomes is focused on the one who cannot fail. We examine the evidence. We deal with the details. We consider the source. And lastly, we face the facts. Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The bottom line and the good news of this this testimony is that God has given us life in Jesus Christ. And John is not merely referring to life after death. A lot of times, it's easy for us to think that way. We receive Christ, we believe Jesus Christ, and we have eternal life, so we have life after we die. But he is referring to an eternal life that begins right now, this age, this day and age, this right here and now, life begins When we believe in Jesus Christ, a life that has already began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ushering in of God's kingdom, that is the life that we can now have in us, a life here and now, a life that has already begun. Believers in Jesus live this life, and that is why we believe that our faith overcomes the world. Going back to verse 4, remember that? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our focused faith. He doesn't say one day will overcome. He doesn't say uh, eventually overcome. He says overcomes now. Overcomes. And overcomes in a way different than the world might expect. Tom Wright talks about it this way. God has given us this witness by his spirit to make the point that the world has indeed been overcome, the world of sin and death. No other God, no other power, no other being in all the world loves like this, gives like this, dies like this. All others win victories by fighting. This one, by suffering. All other gods exercise power by killing. This one, by dying. When it comes to our faith, We are focused on the one who does not fail us, the one who has overcome, the one who has loved us unconditionally and desires to be in a relationship with us. Are we going to examine the evidence? Are we going to deal with the details? Are we going to consider the source? Are we going to face the facts? Our faith should look differently than the world's faith. Maybe your faith is focused on the wrong thing. And I'm not even talking about maybe, maybe you have faith in, in something that's, that's bad. Maybe it's something that's good, but it's distracting you from being focused on Christ. Maybe your faith is out of focus, and you can't quite get a grasp on what you're believing. Maybe your faith is fickle. Sometimes you are fully believing in what God has done for you and committed to Jesus, And then there's times where you aren't even sure if he's real. All those things are fine and okay. Those are not bad places to be. God desires us to wrestle with those things. But he's also desiring that we become more and more focused on him and what Jesus has done for us. The faith that overcomes is focused on the one who cannot fail. Exciting times at my house. My oldest has got her driver's permit, and it's nerve-wracking as well. As you can imagine, teaching someone how to drive, if you've done it before, it's a little challenging. This is my first time, so I'm learning some things about driving from the passenger seat. And one of the things that I'm trying to help her do is focus on the road. But you know as well as I do that just to say focus on the road wouldn't quite work. She could focus on the road that's right in front of the car. Well, that's not gonna help. She could focus on the side road. Oh, I like those, I like those houses over there. She could focus on the side road. She could focus on the road that's in the rearview mirror and just focus on that. That's not going to help. She could focus on the road that's on the map, on the screen, on the dashboard. That's not a good place to focus either. She could close her eyes and set her mind on the things of the road and focus on the road. But that's not going to work. There is one place to focus, One place better than anywhere else to be a safe and good driver. Focus on a certain specific part of the road. And the same can be true of our faith. We could have faith in lots of things and I could say have faith. But you could have faith in spiritual things. Minus Jesus. You could have faith in your good behavior. But that's not sufficient. You could have faith in... Just name it The focus of our faith is so key To have a faith that overcomes because when we are focused on the faith when we are focused on the one who does not fail Our faith is an overcoming faith Because we believe in the testimony of God We have that within us and we're able to go forward believing and living in Jesus Christ In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And during during the time that we pray, I'm I'm going to lead a prayer. If anyone here would like to receive Jesus and have that faith. And if you do receive Jesus, I encourage you to write that on the card that you'll be turning in during the offering. And let us know so that we can help encourage you as you continue to grow in your faith. I encourage you to have a faith that is focused on the one who cannot Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that you have poured out upon us. We thank you for the testimony that we have heard. I pray that that would not just be a proclamation that is in our ears, but a possession that we hold in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people of faith, recognizing that in Jesus we have overcome the world. Lord, I ask for those who are in this room right now that have not yet extended their faith to Jesus. I pray that they would do that. I I ask God that that you would give them the strength to do that. Let's and if you desire to do that, let's pray this prayer. God I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you are good and faithful. I thank you that you never fail. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins and and take a hold of my life. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I want to live a life, to have a faith that overcomes. Lord, thank you for receiving me by your grace. Thank you for being my God and my Savior. Lord, I pray for each person in this room. Help each one of us to focus on you, to, to be a people rejoicing in the fact that we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us now. Give us strength. Pray that as we, as we worship together that you would be blessed by our song. In Jesus' name, amen.